All right, everybody, welcome to the MXU Video Podcast, episode number seven. We uh, continue to record these things. We continue to go out there, and hopefully uh, folks are listening. Um, I'm, we made it to the holy number. That's oh, true. Yeah. I had the same That's thought. <laughs> it's great. So, obviously, that was Rusty and Zach, and uh, you know we're on this journey together. We're, we're learning about video. Um, if you didn't listen to the episode six, um, you should. It's all about lenses. Um, Rusty does a deep dive and helps uh, Zach and I become less dumb about lenses. So I think I'm probably a little less dumb. Um, so I appreciate all of that info. Um, yeah. And, and this week is uh, going to be fun as well. But before we talk about who we have this week and our topic, uh, we should probably start talking about the MXU live tour that's coming up. Let's go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It is going to be here quick. It's be here quick. So uh, it's September. Um, I'm looking at the dates right now, September 9th, 13th, and September 16th. It's going to be Atlanta on the 9th, uh, Chicago on September 13th, and Dallas uh, September 16th. Um, Rusty, you were like the rock star of the two-day MXU tour last year. And so why don't you give some people a glimpse into like if they weren't there last year, these two-day, what was a two-day event uh, last year? Um, is now a uh, one-day event this year um, that we're calling right. a Teams event um, because, like, last year's two-day was, like, audio the first day and then a Teams day on the second day. So there's no audio-only day. It's all a team day, one day, in Atlanta, Chicago, and Dallas. So uh, what will they experience from a video standpoint? Go. All right. I mean, I've always wanted to be a rock star, so thank you for... For calling me a rock star, That's what I'm, I'm going to just channel my inner rock star. That's right. I mean, it was. I remember last year; it was just a great event. The two day events, especially, were really awesome because um, that second day we got to really focus on the whole team. And no offense, to the audio guys. I mean, the day, the one day, one day events were great last year too. But um, for people in our world who aren't sitting behind a console mixing, uh, it was super, super special. So yeah, I think this coming fall on the tour, what you can expect is basically like. And one, you'll you'll get Jada Sai being mm. Jada Sai, nobody like master him. of ceremonies in the flesh, in a whatever shirt he's going to wear, um, the best guy ever. So you get to experience that in all its glory. But then also, what we're we're going to go through the day, and it's it's uh, we have worship leaders, um, and the whole production AVL crew, and we're going to basically talk about what is what what is our service going to be. The band, the worship leaders will tell us like what what they're thinking, what their songs will be, and uh, what was so cool last year it was it was people that I'd never worked with as far as worship leaders go. And so I got to hear from them about what, what kind of experience are you hoping to create here and how can I help craft that with alongside you? And from the lighting side, Daniel Cannell's same thing. How can I help come alongside you and support that and bring what I can bring to the table um, to help uh, usher in the spirit and have, let people have an experience with, with their creator. So um, it's super fun from that part of it. And then, I mean, I remember last last year I basically had like forty five minutes to teach and train uh, camera operators. So wild. I mean, I really don't remember. I think I blacked out and I woke up forty five minutes later, and you know, somehow people knew how to run camera. That's yeah. what it felt like. The best. I think there was one uh, one moment where we asked, like, "Hey, who wants to learn?" So you, we picked three or maybe five, maybe five people out of the crowd. I don't, I don't remember. remember. Yeah, but um. 
one of the guys was a, a pastor on staff and he, you, you taught him how to run a stick camera. Um, yeah. In that short period of time, I was on stage and like, Hey, pointed at me. And then I would like run around like a, you know, like yeah. some pastors do and say, right. try to follow me. Right. Um, so it's real practical teaching. People get yeah. to experience you Hands-on. teaching people. Um, and then and by, the, by the end of the day, like, yeah. So lighting does the same thing. And then you know, I actually had this, you know, the movie old school, maybe, you know, my kids probably hopefully have not watching, listening to this because you should not watch the movie old school. Correct. But there's that scene at the end where they have to do the debate and Will Ferrell gets asked a question and it's like some ridiculous economics question or something like that. And then he just kind of like spits off this incredibly sophisticated response. And then he's like, at the end, he's like, Oh, uh, what happened? What what I say? What I say? That's what it felt like yes. the whole training thing because it was so fast. Yeah. Anyway, Daniel does an awesome job um, teaching lighting, um, and then yeah, we do the whole video part. Train camera operators, talk about switching and directing a little bit, uh, and then audio does a sound check. You get to see the behind the scenes of how that works. You know, doing monitor mixes. Corey will be doing front of house and um, you know showing his process of how he gets it to sound as amazing as he does. And then at the end of the at the end of the day, um, we'll actually have a worship have a worship set, yep. and it's uh, it's an awesome time for for you the guys that are, that come attend. You should come because you get to see all the behind the scenes leading up to it, and then you just get to experience it. Um, and it's not I, what I felt like people told me last year was, um, you know, a lot of times you go to a conference and the whole time during this the session you're thinking about all the behind the scenes stuff because that's what you want to know. Right. Yep. But because we've already done all that we've already shown you all the behind the scenes stuff. Then when we actually get to do the, you know, the worship set, you just get to experience it and worship and be free. Yeah. Um, and so that was probably the most powerful part of the whole day. I agree. That's awesome. It's awesome. And what Rusty isn't telling you is that he also, we also put his um, intercom uh, through the PA so we could hear him uh, call cameras during the run through of the service. And so you hear him ready one, take one, ready five, take five, like just, flying and uh the best auctioneer you know impression that i got it's awesome so you can hear that's why i feel like it's like one of the most practical training events um and then i i think what my favorite part is the networking side so you have a couple hundred people uh in one room who are anywhere from creative directors through technical execution people production directors managers video directors and, and uh volunteers who are there with their teams and you get to network, meet people, uh, hang out with people, ask conversations during breaks, like all those things, um, which I think is awesome. And I think it's actually undervalued. I think w- we need to be meeting each other more, learning from each other, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So i um, excited to see that happen as well. So get your tickets, sign up, get MXU.com and uh, go buy some tickets for you and your team. It's going to be awesome. Um, anything else about that, you guys, before we introduce our guest? No, I'm just excited about it. Yeah, it's going to see you guys there. That's right. So our guest, I'll be real brief. Our guest is, uh, Brandon Rhoda. He's going to, um, he, he's going to describe himself, uh, you know, when we click play here in a second, but what I wanted to set up was like, Brandon is on, uh, Brandon and I are on the same team at Ross video. Um, he has been in the video live video industry for years and years and years. Um, he uh, was at Eagle Brook uh, Church for a uh, long time. 
served as video director um, and did all things video with them uh, years and years years ago. And then um, I met him when I joined Ross a little over uh, almost two years ago, I guess now. And um, we started having this conversation about frame rates uh, and hey, we need to do a podcast about frame rates. And immediately like Brandon is the guy. Uh, Brandon is a super technical guy. He um, is amazing with the knowledge that he has. He's been in um, control rooms uh, really around the globe. Um, he's been a trainer. He's been design engineer. He's been all of the things. So um, that is Brandon, and we're excited to have him. Um, and we're excited about learning frame rates from him. I think what he talks about from a historical standpoint is super awesome. So, uh, anything else you guys want to add in regards no, to it's, it's prepare an awesome to have interview. your mind blown? <laughs> totally. And I, I like that Brandon has a little bit of a different opinion. than I think a lot of yes, our listeners and I do a different opinion than I do too. So yeah, it's good to hear those different voices. Yeah. And he made a statement that you'll hear, uh, is it's all about what you're trying to accomplish. And from a system design standpoint, um, kind of back up and, and really figure out what are you trying to accomplish and then let that dictate some of the decisions you make. So um, it's a great interview. So uh, it's it's long and it's really good. And so hopefully you'll stick with it through the end. And um, y'all ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. Hit it. All right, let's go. All right. Today's podcast is going to be really, really, really fun. Or at least our topic is going to be really fun. Uh, we have my friend, Brandon Rhoda. He works with me at Ross and, um, you know, Brandon, instead of me like having some like whiz bang, cool title, why don't you just introduce yourself to all these fine folks, introduce who you are, what you do at Ross, your years of experience, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll kind of, we'll get into our topic. Go. All right. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, Jeremy. Um, yeah. So, uh, I work at Ross. Um, I work on the solutions team with Jeremy. Uh, my job title is application manager. Uh, basically, what I do is I basically work on how raw solutions can benefit different applications such as worship. Um, so I work a lot with Jeremy. Um, I come from a background where I've you know TD'd, um, I've directed, I've done the engineering, um, I've designed uh, quite a few different systems, um, and so I have kind of well-rounded myself in a lot of different applications and verticals. So. Uh, this job seems to fit me pretty well. That's great. Uh, Brandon sells himself short a lot of times, so I'm going to jump in. You've also been in a lot of newsrooms across the country. You've done a lot of training and commissioning. So, like, how long? You did that for years, right? You've done yeah, that for so a while? I was a trainer for Ross um, on a contract basis for about five and a half years. Yeah. So uh, the reason why I say that is because today we're going to talk about frame rates. At least that's what we're going to start our conversation about. And, um, you know, Brandon's on today because Brandon is very passionate about frame rates. I will not tell you which frame rate he's passionate about because we'll get into that in a few minutes. But, uh, yeah, he's been around the whole video world for a long time. He understands it. And um, he's, yeah, super smart. So. Uh, yeah. Can I say that about you? Yeah, I can. You can't. I can. You just so, did. Yeah. Um, so Brandon has a lot to offer in this conversation. We're excited about, uh, what it's going to look like. Um, so as we kind of talk about frame rates, let's just get the conversation started. Uh, Rusty and Zach, you guys come from 
churches that both uh, experimented with frame rates in different ways, right? So like, you know, our typical newsroom setup, uh, Brandon, you can confirm, but newsrooms around really the globe for the most part has been like 1080i 5994. Is that a true statement, Brandon? Well, in North America, North yes. America. Right, you right, know, yes. In, in right. other parts of the country or in the world, I should say, not the country, other, other parts of the world, it's a 50 hertz based system. Yeah. So, right. Well, we, let's table that for a second because well, that's a whole other thing we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, but Rusty and Zach, what at the two churches that you guys have been part of, like, so what, what were you guys running? Um, I know there's a lot to be said about the 24 um, and all that kind of stuff. So where were you guys at and what's your experience in frame rates stuff? Yeah, I mean, we were 1080i 5994 at Ballantyne um, with the Vericams running their variable frame rate, but still the full system at 1080i. So I think that, you know, that's a lot of argument, which is why we're having this conversation because there are so many people that are like, why? Like, you know, there's a lot of people that like 24 for a, a live broadcast. And, you know, I guess it just, it's whatever fits you the best. Yeah. But like Rusty, you, you're pretty yeah. passionate about the, the 24 frame uh, look. Can you explain to those people like me who, you know, I don't know frame rates really well. So I, explain to us why this whole conversation comes up and why it's such a hot topic sometimes. I shall do my best. Okay. So first off, we were at Passion similar. So if I'm, up until two years ago, we were strictly 5994i through and through, from camera all the way to um, all through throughput, switcher, projector, whatever. Um, and then when we got upgraded, I, I guess about two years ago, to Vericam, we, similarly to what Zach just said, we stayed in an infrastructure at 1080i, 5994, um, but did use the variable frame rate in camera to achieve a 24 look and then also a 30 look for different occasions, just depending on what the content was. Um, for, I guess for me, like most of my background, I would say is, well, I'd say it's about 50-50 live production versus film and editing. And so, um, you know, in churches or in when I was touring, most of the times it was 5994i, just because that's just what most equipment uh, worked best at. Um, but the half, the other half of my you know career and what I was doing, I was going out and filming interviews, filming content, um, you know, running the whole gamut of what kind of content we were filming, like B-roll kind of stuff for motion backgrounds or interviews or story videos, um, and so on and so on and so on. So in that world. 24p is a much more 2398 is a much more common frame rate, um, and at least from my understanding, it is because it is the standard format for uh, cinema in Hollywood, and so because that is what that you know it is really it's a live versus post kind of argument in my head. Um, so since I was so versed in that world of doing filmmaking and editing, where we were trying to get that 24p look. Um, and I guess if you ask why, it's because motion blur is a artistically pleasing, or can be when done, when done well, is like more motion blur can be better. I want to trick the human eye to making it feel like I'm actually watching moving images instead of making, because all you're actually watching is a sequence of still images. That's technically what you're watching. And so you want to trick the eye to make it feel like it's watching something moving so motion blur can help you achieve that 
24p means fewer frames every second. You get more motion blur in each frame to help make it feel like there's moving content in each image. So, um, yeah, go ahead. you mentioned the look. So, yes, so there's a certain look that 24 frames gets you versus a 59 or 29 or like explain the you mentioned motion blur is that it that's 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 the look you're talking about i mean it's it's kind of i think they all tie together so it really and brandon you can obviously i'm going to say something stupid here at some point so you can call me out on it i i promise i will but all those numbers are just referring to how many actual still frames you're taking every second so the fewer still frames you take, if your shutter is set up correctly, then the more motion blur each still will have, and you'll get an image that looks more smooth versus choppy. So now this, I think, okay. So like people call like 60p a soap opera look um, because it just it looks like it's a more it to me more looks like a series of static images versus. Uh, a series of moving images. Again, none of it's actually moving. I was reading up on this before I, before we got on, and like someone put it this way, which I think was pretty interesting. The human eye is like what we're trying to match, but the human eye is just ridiculous. We actually don't see with our eye; we see with our brain. Our brain is doing all this cra crazy processing to make us see moving images and see the way that we see. And the camera is just a poor attempt to try and mimic this. Um, so yeah, 24p is just a look that creates more motion blur and therefore creates what some would call a smoother looking image. Now, what's funny about that is some people would say, no, it's more jittery because mm. it's fewer frames. Yep. Um, but I guess that's, you know, in the eye of the beholder, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So Brandon, catch us up. Like, how did we get, I mean, you've been in control rooms across the country. How do we get to where 1080i, 5994 is like the standard if you know, like, how did we get here to the North American standard being that 1080i 5994? Well, I mean, how how far back you want me to go? Um, well, I mean, this, silent pictures. Yeah, this is this I think is, it goes all the way back to silent pictures. Let's well, go. Let's dive in. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, silent pictures again. That's where you're already you're already you know blurring film and and broadcast television. They've always been different. Items. There's a reason why film cameras are film and, you know, video cameras are different, right? Because they're scanning versus taking those still pictures, as you, as you kind of mentioned. So when we got back into, um, you know, kind of the birth of television, when we had black and white television sets, um, everything was based on, you know, how can we, we do horizontal scanning? How much horizontal scanning can we do, you know, in a second, right? And so that was largely based on, our hertz structure. So, um, you know, here in the in North America, we're at 60 hertz. So, what we needed to do is we needed to say how much information could we get um, in in basically in a 60th of a second, um, because that was the easiest way to translate our power into scanning and, and capturing video. And even when we're doing, you know, um, you know, capturing frames, right? We are actually capturing it left to right, top to bottom. And so we couldn't do a, an entire frame, at least not at a good enough resolution back then in a 60th of a second. So what they had to do is they had to split it into two. And so that's where they came up with taking a Hertz and translating that into fields. And so they did two fields, right? Would equal one frame. And that's how we got to 30 frames per second. And 
Now, so this is what interlaced means. Yeah, so they they chose to do interlace because it's every other line, right? And that was supposed to be so it looked a little bit more natural because again they were trying to, you know, make it so when you look at and watch it feels more natural and doesn't feel you know have its own feel to it. And so they did interlacing to kind of blend the image together. And so um, I always get confused. I forget. I think it's actually even lines first and then odds because we start with line zero, if I remember right. Which, when you talk to a lot of people that don't like interlacing, it's because you know they're watching on a computer screen that doesn't know how to deinterlace properly, or they have their their field order swapped, and they say, "I never render anything out that looks decent." It's because your field order is swapped, and so it's fighting with it. And so anyone that, a lot of times when I'm working with editors and they're like, well, I hate, I hate interlace because it never looks good. It's usually because they have their settings uh, improperly set um, on their field order or they have, um, you know, or yeah, they have their field order set pro- improperly, you know, or they, uh, they don't have a proper preview or proxy monitor. Because in the old days, we always have a big CRT, you know, confidence monitor that we would always look at. That was that was what it was actually going to look like, never what looks on, on a computer. So everything shifted nowadays. But to go back to, um, you know, back to the, kind of the beginning, you know, what what you if you you may have picked up on, I kept saying sixty hertz, right? It's sixty sixtieth yep. of a second. And if you know, you know, if you paid much attention to our standard, right? It's fifty nine nine four. And why is that? And really, the reason why we've gotten to that point of having to go less than 60 hertz is because when we went from black and white to color, we actually couldn't, the, the technology wasn't good enough to do that that fast. So we actually had to slow down video. You, it slowed down video like a like 0.1 tenth of a, uh, or sorry, a tenth of a second, right? So it's actually 0.9, which gets us to 59.94. And so it's not physically slowed down. It's just we had to slow down like the tape decks, right? And slow down, you know, kind of the transmission of everything and the scanning of everything that little bit just so we could get it into uh, that 60 hertz structure and that, um, you know, and that's what resulted in that drop frame architecture that we now know of, right? Because we're not actually slowing anything down. We're just dropping a frame every once in a while. You go across the pond and to our pale friends that are running 50 hertz, right? They did the exact same thing, but they didn't have the bandwidth issue. So they have always been 50 hertz and they've always truly been 50 hertz, which is one of the reasons why. So with so, SD, go, so go ahead. At the, so what I hear you saying is that our TV video standards were based on our power grid infrastructure. Absolutely, yep, okay. 100%. So, okay, go on. So, um, so as... Things progress, right? We we went into SD and it's you know 525i interlaced, right? So every other line, um, scanning that standard definition. Then we got to digital and we started dealing with pixels, which we've never really dealt with before. Um, but regardless, right? We got into digital, we got into SDI, and things kind of um, we started dealing with bandwidth, right? And we started being technology kind of progressed forward, and so we needed something that was higher resolution. So, you know, I wasn't, as, you know, I'm not old enough that I was sitting at the SMPTE board or, um, you know, or anything like that. I've had a couple conversations with people that um, were around during those days, but really there was a big debate is they came up with basically a bandwidth that they wanted to get to when we get to uh, the next set of resolution, when we got to HD. And that was that one and a half gig, right? So if, if, um, if, if you know, like SDI in HD, 
you know, is basically one and a half gig. And it doesn't matter if that's 720p or if that's 1080i. And both of those are 59.94 hertz. So um, they wanted that one and a half gig roughly, you know, kind of bandwidth. And so that's where you had people that said, no, we need to get outside of interlaced. And you had the people said, um, no, interlaced is great. We want more resolution. So you kind of had this trade-off between resolution or frame rate. And so that's why in the HD world, you, you hear the term cross-converting. Cross-converting is really going from 1080i to 720p or 720p to 1080i because it's the same bandwidth. It's not really up or down because no matter how you look at it, it might be increase, you're up, upping the resolution, but you're lowering the frame rate and vice versa, right? So that's yep. where you get the term cross-converting from. But it was all based on that, and you had certain players, and if you turn your TV set to, to some of those right now, uh, you'll know who broadcasts in 720p and who broadcasts in 1080i, and you pretty much know where the line was split. Um, but that's the reason why we have two HD standards. Um, but it, the, the 1080i standard was we can fit 1080 line, you know, 1,080 lines in 59.94 hertz and get that one and a half gig. And then obviously that also translates over to the 50 hertz, our 50 hertz friends across the pond, which obviously they need less bandwidth, but it still falls within that same standard, uh, which is where we get to that 59.94 backbone. So the one and a half gigs, so everybody is like understanding. So one and a half gigs is like the cabling infrastructure. It's the transport part. It's the how we get a signal from point A to point B, right? So that's why it's like, you know, our copper cables that we are transporting things on can only carry so much data, right? And so that's why the, this is standard had to exist of uh, 1.5 gigs. Now, now we're in 1080p world, which is a whole nother, it's double the information, correct? Uh, yep, absolutely. So it's, it's double because now instead of one field equaling half of a frame, one field has to equal a whole frame. So that's why it's def- 100% doubled, right? Yep. So you take, one and a half gig now becomes three gig. And so if you ever heard the term three gig, that's exactly what that is referring to. Got it. So that would be a 1080p 60 or 59.94. Correct. Right. Yep. But people that do 1080p 2997 is still 1.5G. Correct. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's kind of a hack in doing 1080p, to be honest. Because I don't know if you can tell the difference, right? In a 29 and a a 59.94, 1080p. Can you tell with your eyes? I can. Okay. Can you don't think I can, Brandon? (laughs) (laughs) I think when it comes down to it, yeah. I mean, no, I think people can tell. Um, I think what happens is is so often we we end up converting to an interlaced output for, especially, you know, I'm thinking like broadcast right now because that's where everything kind of boils down to and things get so converted. I don't think people consciously... Um, notice and sit and see, oh, that's, you know, that looks more natural or that looks, you know, more interlaced yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, so, yes, I think any trained person that sits and focuses on it can obviously tell. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. So, there, there's so there's so much. So, but, it, yeah, so it's safe to say, like, because I, I think I, what I want to go go to in a minute is I think the film side of this, it has a similar storyline in that, it was limited to the technology of the time. And so that became standardized. But what, what you're saying is right now, we don't have those same limitations. We don't. No, but and it's, it's we're really just inter- stuck in our ways. It, well, it's, it's interesting because we are, like one of my, my, my pet peeves is the drop frame is kind of a hassle. And, you know, 
it would be great if our industry would just say, well, let's get back to 60 hertz, right? Let's get back right. to 60 hertz and let's not deal with this 59.94. But the entire industry is 59.94 that you can't just flip that switch and it's not that easy. And so it ends up creating more you know, hurdles and stuff to jump through than, than I think is worth it. Um, but it's also, you start looking too at, well, what's the next stages? What's the next steps? And um, what people don't realize is 4K was never supposed to be a standard. Uh, we were supposed to actually jump to 8K. And one of the biggest things with 8K was they had done studies and they basically started saying the higher the resolution, the higher the frame rate needed to be. And the reason is, is because people start to notice more of that stop motion-y, right? More of that, they can start seeing every single frame when they start seeing the higher resolution, the more pixels. And so the lower resolution at the lower frame rates, right, weren't as bad, but when you started blowing that up into these, you know, 4K and 8K images, um, that's when you really needed that higher frame rate for your eye to be able to do all that math, right? And, and for your brain to interpret all that. And so it's been this pull. And so 4K kind of jumped in because of cinema, because cinema and, and broadcast have always been very separated. It wasn't until we got into nonlinear editing that they started to blend more. I mean, we had people that would use film, you know, to do like TV shows and sitcoms and that kind of stuff, but they did that from a longevity standpoint. And they would do that in 30 frames per second. And there was a very painful process for a long time to convert that over to, um, you know, into basically onto tape, right? So they could broadcast it out. And so, but it, they've always been very separated and, and it was the post community and the, the film community that started shooting in 4K and it became more of a popular format that they started pushing into the broadcast space and therefore, broadcasters realized that, hey, we're, we can't wait around for 8K. We need to do this sooner than later. And so they adopted that standard. And, you know, but again, they've never, they never came up with an interlaced version, right? They went straight for the progressive version because we do know it's better, right? We do know that progressive is a better way to do things than interlaced. Interlaced was just a way to get higher resolution at the time, um, you know, with, without having to use as much bandwidth. So... We were defined by our technology. We're de we were defined by the power grid. And now we're in digital TV world. I remember a friend of mine a couple of years said, like years ago said, um, when we made that when the North America made a transition from analog um, over the air, you know, antenna to digital TV over the air, like we don't need that tie to the power grid. Is that true? Like that whole idea is like broken now, right? We, because now it's all digital. We could just do really whatever we want. That's what you're alluding to, right? We could just go to 60 and it doesn't matter. In in theory, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not yeah. a, I'm, I'm a tower tower engineer, you know, that right, kind of right, stuff. Right. I don't yeah. know some of those details. But in theory, yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Um, well, really, it's because we switch really from from AC to DC in most of our in most of our TVs and most of oh. our, you know, products and stuff that way. And so you start getting playing with DC power, you're you're not dealing with the same limitations even at that point where you're scanning based on Hertz and alternating current and all that fun stuff. I was I was feeling real dumb. And then you mentioned the the AC DC transition. Now I feel real dumb. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. I can yeah. sing a few songs, but I mean I don't yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I'm no electrician, but I do know that, you know, once we started moving all of our products into DC, it was literally like flipping a switch between 50 hertz and 60 hertz. 
um, instead of having to actually have different power supplies and stuff. And I could be wrong on that, but that's the way I, I understand I, it. You sound really smart, so we're going to go with it. Yeah. So Fake it till um, you make it. That's right. Fake it till you make it. Rusty, what you got? I see you You kind of thinking on some things. Well, I think all of that is fascinating. Um, on the film side of it, I think it's, I mentioned briefly, my understanding of, of the film part of it, because part of it, the, to me, like, even if, sorry, I got a lot of thoughts going on. Even if we decided as a broadcast community to go to, to go to 60 or whatever, Hollywood is still going to shoot movies at 24p. Are they? And, uh, yeah. I mean, do they you, still are how, currently. How, how do DPs feel about 24p? I think most DPs still prefer it. I've heard the now opposite. Now they overcrank it. They overcrank it when they want to have the option for slow-mo or they well or they going for some desired effect but over cranking and under cranking i mean that's that's never going to go away what right it's i'm i'm again yeah, i'm not a film guy i don't i don't do that kind of stuff i don't know a lot of people in the industry um but i sat down and i was i was listening to a a talk one time and you know because peter jackson did the 48 frames per second you remember that in the hobbit and it, yeah, it, it, was it awful. flopped right but yeah. there was a reason why he did it and the reason is is because because 24p does not capture motion very well, right? It's because if you're going to do a big pan across space, um, it just looks like stop motion. It doesn't, it's not smooth. And so DPs have had to constantly find ways to hide, mo- hide that when they do motion. So you have an object, right, that you're following, right? And your eyes are drawn to that object, so you don't see the stuff on the outside of it that on a wide pan is you know is is really stair steppy. So there there's all these tricks that DPs have to do to hide motion that they've gotten really good at over the years because um, you know because of the 24p limitation and because the resolution keeps going up and we need that higher frame rate. So Peter Jackson said, well maybe we should take the jump and do the 48 frames per second, and nobody liked it, right? So but he also did it in stereoscopic 3D. Okay. I mean, I, again, I'm not a film guy. I'm like not going to say I know this. And I could be two, wrong. Maybe two, I understand. two things and tried to combine them. He probably should have just done one. Probably, <laughs> right? But I mean, I think the point is, is that the lower frame rates cause more problems than they, than they, uh, than, than they solve. Um, and so you're constantly having to work around that. And that's, that's where it can be very difficult. Um, and that's why... If I heard correctly, and you know, again, I'm not in that world, but if that really is something that that DPs are fi- always having to work around is how to hide motion because of the slow frame rate, that's something that's not going to go away, you know, and that's something that we're going to constantly be battling. So, yeah, uh, Brandon, you said something that's kind of controversial uh, that that 24 frames causes uh, more problems than it solves. Uh, Rusty, you tend to fall on the in the camp of being pro 24 frames. So context, I hear a lot of people well, when it, when it fits the situation. Okay. Okay. Like I don't do 24 P all the time. Okay. Well, why don't you explain when you do it and don't. So, cause I just know that I hear a lot of people say, Hey, I just want to, I want to be in 24, like our system be in 24 or we want that cinematic look. That's the word like cinematic look. Um, so explain Ru- Rusty, explain like, when you want 24 frames and when you don't as you know, if you're thinking when I things. personally, yeah. 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 Well, first off, I don't think cinematic means frame rate only. I okay. When someone says I want a cinematic look, there's, I don't know, half a dozen things that in my mind that 
that refers to. But I think that you're right about that, though, Rusty. Is like when people say cinematic look, they just immediately think, I need to run my cameras in our system in 24. Right. And I would say that's a, you've, you've got only a piece of the picture there of what it means to be yeah. cinematic. So, so you're talking about lensing, you're talking about the cameras, you're talking about frame rates, resolution, lighting. Resolution, depth of field, frame rate, yeah, how you light it is probably the, one of the biggest pieces. Um, can you accomplish and camera motion also? Can you accomplish a cinematic look using the right lighting and depth of field in a 29 or 60 uh, frame rate? Or do you have to have 24? Well, I think it depends on how you define cinematic. Okay. But so, yeah, like there are, I mean, you, you watch plenty of TV shows that are shot in 30, and you would think in your mind, this is a cinematic show. Got it. So okay. yes, you can accomplish that. Um, okay. So yeah, for me, it comes down to, like I personally like the look of 24 in some situations, music videos being one of those things, which is half of what we do in church world. So um, I'm a fan of having that more motion blur um, when I'm doing, you know, the style of music that we do in a lot of our churches. Now, when it comes to like a pastor on stage or a talking head, or if I was doing TED Talks or when I do conferences where there's a bunch of talking heads, 24 please, I think is a terrible idea for that because uh, it is a lot of panning and following someone. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just like a lip movement. I don't think motion blur really, it doesn't help you in that situation. I would say in that situation, it probably does hurt you. So if that's the main priority of what you're trying to broadcast, um, it also most most looks like what we see on TV with like news coverage or um, I don't know what else, but like uh, sports sports. Yeah. So if, if someone is watching that stuff all the time, talking heads on TV, that is in a 5994 frame world, you know, world. So make it look more like that. Cause then if, if you try to make it look like 24 P people are going to notice that this looks different than what I see every time when I watch TV at home. And I don't think that's the goal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you would say from a con like concert music video standpoint, 24, the motion blur, right? That's what you're, that's what 24 is giving you. And then you get the yes. depth of field and other things from lighting and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. Okay. But yeah, I, I can get depth of field in any frame rate. Right. Right. Yeah. So you could really play around with your camera setup and probably come to a pretty nice cinematic look at it using 29. Or Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, Brandon, I've heard, well, you, you said the comment, it, it, it creates more problems than it solves, which means you, you, are, uh, you have an opinion one way or the other uh, about frame rates. So why, I, I, would, I just want to poke the bear a little bit here. Why, in your opinion, does 24 frames like really suck for live video applications? In your opinion, the shortened condensed version if you could, your little soapbox about frame rates, go. Jeremy, no one has ever come to me and said, you know what, I would have come to Jesus today, but it wasn't 24P. So therefore, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to accept Jesus today. No, I mean. That's a, he, that's a, that's a valid answer. Well, I keep going. I think, but the inverse is also true. So it's a dumb answer. <laughs> never, never heard that. But, you know, I, I think, I think choosing to go, uh, to go 24P or not, or, 
choosing even just a non-broadcast frame rate, and I'm going to say that because I think even 30p is a non-broadcast frame rate, um, mm-hmm. is is a whole different discussion than you know the problems that it that that it creates, right? So, for example, um, you know we talked a little bit about like our backbone is 59.94 hertz, right? So there's a difference between ca- setting your cameras to a different frame rate and converting that at the camera back into the into basically the standard that the rest of the system is running it. And then there's building a system around a standard, right? And so you could build a system around 1080p, 24, you know, 1080p at 24 hertz, right? And that will cause a lot of problems as far as an engineer standpoint goes. Uh, because there's so much equipment out there that's not native, um, 24 hertz doesn't work in that standard because you're actually changing, like basically your heartbeat is changing across the entire system as far as what, what is going to happen. And broadcast gear has never been built with that first. And so the gear that supports that, it's always a secondary function. So converting to 24 hertz is, is, is difficult. Finding stuff that will actually support it natively um, can be difficult. And then when you ever you have, you know, you convert standards, right? Because that's a, what we call a standards conversion going between a 24 hertz, a 30 hertz, a 59.94 hertz, you know, even a 50 hertz. That's all standards conversion. That takes a lot of processing time and a lot of processing power. And so when you look at something like a, a camera, right? So that might have a variable frame rate. Well, it still has to do some type of how am I going to get this 24 frame or 30 frame to a, you know, uh, into a 59.9 hertz type stream. And so it's going to have to buffer it, right? Which is going to add latency. So every time that you get out of that kind of standard broadcast format, that's really my first thing is it's going to add latency because you have to buffer everything. Um, but then, yeah, you get into the problems of, you know, having to, you know, hide the, hide the jitter, hide, hide that. Um, you have to find problems as far as like the lensing is so different. The the tools that we have with studio cameras as far as, you know, iris controls and, um, you know, painting those cameras and tally and return video and running calm through the ca- camera. And the cameras that have been designed for broadcast applications are ergonomically to throw on your shoulder or put on a steady camera, you know, whatever you need to, where a lot of these cinema cameras today are just not... Um, they're not built for those kind of things. And I was having a conversation recently with, with, uh, with someone that was saying that, you know, in, in a lot of these facilities that have multiple of these cameras, they might have these massive cable looms, um, you know, or they might have, you know, other like bolt on pieces that you have to put on these cameras to make them work in a studio environment. And that kind of stuff breaks all the time. And you have to have someone there constantly trying to fix those things. So when I look at when I look at the problems that it solves, can my camera operators stay in focus? Can my camera operators, you know, uh, handle the rigs? Can my camera operators hear me on calm? Can they handle the big, you know, um, the big cable bulk behind me? Um, you know, all of those things play into the experience. And when I have volunteers that are running, you know, cameras, um, they might do great. But then at the same time, the more that I have require them to do, the harder it is for them. That means it's harder learning curve. It's harder to get things to look at a high quality level. And so you're just constantly, in my opinion, chasing down how to how to improve, how to improve, how to improve, or how to fix little things here and there. And you're introducing new variables 
into the ecosystem that makes it more difficult to really get a clean show. Because as a director, that's always been my number one goal is a clean show. And everything I've just said has nothing to even do with the purpose of why you're there to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, it's you're if you can't get a clean show, if you can't get a good looking show, um, or if it's harder to do that, um, you know, then choose the gear and the, that that has the tools that can help you achieve a yeah. better, cleaner show. So, in all, I, I, you're saying there's a, the video systems, regardless of what manufacturer, which brand, or anything that you go with. There's a uh, some standards that have been created for live video uh, production um, that is outside of that 24 p round so 24 uh, frames per second so the gear today just doesn't exist and then rusty and zach we've had conversations it's, uh, in previous podcasts where we talked about the varicam particularly and what they do because so they are mimicking right they're mimicking a 24 look while outputting a 29 or 59.94 signal so that's essentially giving you the motion motion blur that Rusty would like for music while spitting out a signal. And, you know, I think that was um, a, pre- a couple of previous episodes ago when we talked about Elevation um, Church production system, we explained all that. So, so Brandon, what you're saying is when it comes down to making a decision about like what frame rate, uh, it's just easier because the products today on the market are like, centered around this 5994 ecosystem and it makes everything better that way. Is that what I hear you saying? I, I think you're kind of sometimes in some way you're asking the wrong question because okay. the, it shouldn't necessarily be if you're, if you're putting together a system like as an engineer, yeah, I need to know the frame rate and the standard that you're using right off the bat, right? Because yep. that plays into it. But you, you always start a project with what, What's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? And so you need to know what the pieces are that you need to accomplish the goal. And if there are pieces that can, in my opinion, accomplish that goal better, then you should go with those pieces, right? And they might be more expensive. They might be less expensive depending on how you look at them. And frame rate, in my opinion, because that, yes, like you said, it's not part of the standard today. All of those off, you know, off um, standard frame rates, the 30s, the, the the 24s, that kind of stuff, is really there. Was started getting into equipment because a lot of these broadcasters are starting to make equipment that bridge both post production and live production, mm. and so it's something that just kind of fell into it because they wanted to use SDI to make that happen. So some of these pieces of equipment were not purpose for live. They've adapted to live, if that makes sense. Yep. And so um, I always think you approach it with what are you trying to accomplish and, you know, getting the right pieces to, to make that happen. And I think it's more than just, you know, a frame rate is, is, is contributing to a style like you had mentioned before. Um, it's not necessarily contributing to a goal. Yep. Okay. So let's kind of pivot a little bit on this whole conversation, like, getting into the like nuts and bolts and the weeds of it. This is the thing that I don't know. So I create So say we have a system um, and say hypothetically it is running in 24. Uh, the cameras output, the switchers 
you know, switching in 24, it gets to my encoder and then it, and it, and it goes out to the web. So this whole web encoding thing is a, a mystery to me in some regards. So like when somebody pulls up on the computer and watches on YouTube, my church service stream or whatever live event, are they watching it? Is it being like encoded at a different frame rate? Or are they watching the true 24 frames? Like, does anybody, I don't know if you know, Brandon, I'm kind of, this is like curveball, but like, like how far does that whole 24 frame go? Is it going all the way out to where I watch it on my computer screen? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. Has it been converted beforehand because your system standard? Right. Um, or is your system fully built on, on 24? Okay. Um, and can the encoder accept 24? Right. Um, but if it can't, it's probably going to do some type of conversion or you'll have to do conversion before it, that type of thing. Yeah. Because so there's so many different pieces. I think that's there's just, there's yeah, so many it's, different it's, hops. I think it's hard to answer that question because I would imagine in a lot of people's scenarios, by the time your viewer sees it, it is not in its native format. Yeah. Because you haven't dug into yeah, all the settings totally to agree. see if it's even possible. Right. I mean, same way with like when I watch a, TV, a movie, if I watch spider-man that was shot in 24 but then i watch it on tnt it's i'm not watching it in 24 anymore i'm like it was originally shot in 24 but then it's re-encoded to whatever tnt or whatever whatever you know right. broadcast channel is broadcasting it right okay um okay so there's other this other little sidebar conversation that i get a lot of times and people ask me this um psf so it's 2398 psf is that right can't remember something like that. What is, what is PSF? Because that exists in a lot of broadcast equipment, and a lot of people don't understand it. So, who not to be confused with FPS? Right. Yeah. So, what's what's what is that? What is what is PSF as a frame so, rate? Yeah. So PSF stands for progressive segmented frame. So if you remember back when we talked about. Um, you know, kind of the whole interlace, how interlace scans, and it's based off the 5994. Well, people, you know, that did, especially in the entertainment world, they wanted to keep and maintain more of a progressive look, and they didn't want to have to do as much of the interlace scanning. And so in order to, to, to stay on a 5994 hertz kind of structure, what they did is they said, okay, well, let, why don't we just, rather than scanning every other line, why don't we just do the top half and then the bottom half? So it's still two fields to make a frame. It's just split into the top half first, then the bottom half. So basically every 60th of a frame, the top half, or sorry, every, um, every other 60th of a frame, the top half changes. Every other 60th of a frame, the bottom half changes. So it's basically just cutting your, your signal into the top half and bottom half and playing it back as a single stream. All right, so that why, why would I want to do a PSF? Like, what is a scenario for me to run my switcher, for instance, in that versus, you know? Well, it, it might only work in that format if you want to get out of a 59.94 hertz or, you know, 50, you know, 1080i or if you're not doing 1080p type type workflow. So it may not allow for you to do a 30 hertz because again, that's that's changing the entire standard. It's right. It may sound like it's just half, 
but it's changing the entire standard. And it doesn't matter if you say, well, it's actually 29.97. Well, it doesn't matter. Even though it seems like it's half, it's not that easy, or at least that's what the engineers back in the labs tell me. It's not that easy. So it's actually changing the entire pulse and lifeblood of the entire system. So what PSF does is it basically says we're using the same exact everything, same pulse, you know, whatever, but we know that it's not scanning every other line, it's scanning top half and bottom half. So I know, you know, at Ross, our production switchers for a while didn't support, you know, 30P because it was actually took a lot more, it took a different set of resources to make that happen. So it was easier for us to implement PSF um, into the system to get kind of basically it's a cross between getting to a progressive 30 frames or 29.97 frames versus actually having to, um, you know, run the entire system in, in 29.97 hertz. Got it. Got it. I just remembered a really good way to visualize this. You guys remember the, the old Willy Wonka? Not the Johnny Depp one, but like the, when we were oh, kids, yeah. Willy Wonka, the creepy one. I actually never saw the new one. Maybe the new one's creepy too. But there's that scene where like the kid, they, they have like the Wonka vision or whatever, and the kid gets scanned by the camera and then he gets put up into a million pieces in the sky until he gets reconfigured onto the t- little TV screen. Yeah, it's just a bunch of different ways to do that. Every other line or every or half a frame. Yeah, it's great. All right, so uh, Rusty, what as we kind of close our time here, um, you're you're like the um, camera frame rate guru, I would put it in this conver- conversation. You and Brandon both, but like from a, a lot of people look to you as like, hey Rusty, what should we be doing? So, what what would you say with in this frame rate conversation if you were like? Here's here's my thoughts on it. What would you say to the people listening about frame rates? In which way they should go? How do they make decision? How should they think about it? That kind of stuff. And I think what Brandon said earlier is right. Like you you do need to you should not approach a project with I want 24p or I want 60. You should approach a project with what is my goal? What am I look? Like and I, I mean I would I would say like I would respectfully have some differences with Brandon. I have some different goals when I'm a director. It's not always just a clean show, but that's also because I probably do some different kinds of shows than Brandon does. Um, and so, yeah, I would want to look holistically at what do you want to, like, what is your end goal? What kind of look or style are you trying to accomplish? But then I would also say, let's take into consideration the actual physics of your room. So if we, if we dive into like super 35 cameras and that kind of stuff, which is kind of what Brandon was hinting at earlier, there are some different, like the gear just isn't where we need it to be yet. There's some stuff coming online, I think in the next few years that could start to change that. But if you, if your cameras are a hundred feet away, then you need to just own up to that and find a solution. That's not going to give you a headache every Sunday. Um, and probably need to go with a two thirds sensor sensor with a normal broadcast camera. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it really is individual to each person in each person's room, and what infrastructure do you already have in place? So like for us at Passion, when we got Vericams, we didn't upgrade our switcher and router and everything else. So all of that was still a 1080i backbone. So we couldn't just flip the cameras into 24 or 30 or whatever. We had to find a solution that would give us some flexibility with the variable frame rate stuff. So. Um, you need to take in all that into consideration and not just go buy a bunch of cameras because you think they're going to make you look, make things look better, but then you can't figure out the lensing. You can't figure out how to hold them correctly. And you plug them in, your switcher doesn't work with it because you didn't think about your, your infrastructure backbone. Um, 
one of y'all said earlier, like that there's a lot more to it than you just realized than just to look like it, it, it can be a nightmare on the operators. Like what you said, like if the camera's too far away, it's going to give you a headache. And like, there's so many places like just because they make the lens that gets that far. If you've got an active right. pastor, like it's a nightmare for the operator and it's a nightmare to watch it as well. Totally. So like we, and we've dealt with some of that. And so we, we do have to adapt how we shoot it. So, for example, um, in worship, I like a really shallow look. So, I would say one of the points I would say counter argument of Brandon was saying earlier. I feel like with a shallow depth of field, I can't. It is more difficult for sure for operators to find focus. It is more difficult to hold the camera because I don't want the camera on my shoulder. I want it in different positions. So, I have to figure out a way to get an easier rig or something like that to hold it in a different position. Um, but the, sh the shallow depth of field, while it does have challenges, it also can overcome some things. Like, because it, to me, it looks so much prettier. And also, like, it, it just can blur the background out. So if you have a higher res LED wall, you're not going to have to worry about more ray because it can make it out of focus. So there are pros to it, but you need to understand what those pros are and what those cons are because the cons may, may outweigh the pros. Um, but like for, for that same camera that is our like main camera one front of house tripod camera, I want it to be super shallow for worship. But then for the message, if I try to run a camera at F3.5, they're going to be out, out of focus half the time, anytime the pastor steps forward or backwards. So we, we adapt, we adapt our plan and we run it at F8 or F9 for the, me for the message so that there's more focus plane for them to walk in walk in um but if you you know if you bought a bunch of cinematic cameras and super 35 cameras and did 24p and you ended up running at f10 the whole time you probably should have just got broadcast cameras because it's going to look pretty similar uh at the end of the day so yeah it, that, there's there is no one answer yep and i think a lot of times people peg me as like oh go cinematic and i would never tell someone that cinematic is the only way to go it's my preferred way to go but I do plenty of shows where I can't do cinematic. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. So, so at the end of the day, 24 frames is not better necessarily. Every frame rate has a purpose. And then the live industry is built around a certain standard now that is beginning to adapt. And who knows what the future may hold, but there's a purpose. Well, I, can I just, I just want to say two things on this. Is the yeah. first off, I mean, the broadcast industry, right, has been built on decades upon decades upon decades of um, learning, right? And the way that mm. the cameras are designed, the lensing that's, that's accessible, the technologies that's behind it is based upon all of that, you know, all of that learning. But it's always been based around, you know, the broadcast standard as we talked about before. Um, and so that part of the equation has never really been messed with. Um, and so, you know, what, what, you know, guys like Rusty are trying to do is they're, they're messing with that, that equation. That's not a bad thing. The bad thing, or sorry, that's not a bad thing at all, but you know, it's just, that's not what it was originally designed to do. So in order to mess with the equation, you're having to go back kind of off sheet. And mm -hmm. so that's where a lot of the, the struggles and the differences are. I mean, the, this, the lensing alone for for the cinematic style cameras can be just a nightmare because not only are the sleds different and you know all that kind of stuff and the weight mm -hmm. balancing you know it, can, it, it it just again it creates some more problems and some more challenges that you have to overcome 
But the one thing that I want to just take a step back and, and, and ask is I was having a conversation again with someone recently and, you know, always consider your audience, you know, I mean, think about that. I mean, you're, you know, Rusty says, you know, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Um, I prefer, right. That's what you said, but what does your audience prefer? Right. Do you have an audience that, you know, is kind of that enjoys that cinematic is more creative in that regards, or are they, you know, more basic and more kind of average Joe-ish? Would they, would they appreciate, you know, that different look? And I think you always have to look at that when you're doing something. I know, um, the, the so, I, you know, I worked at a church in the first part of my career. And at that time, the pastor, um, you know, he was uh, the hunter, the fisherman, you know, kind of the, just your average Joe. And that was the draw. And I feel like, you know, yeah, the church has always had that creative arm and that kind of stuff. But when I look at the audience, it's a lot of average Joes out there. And I and I really wonder, do they want a really clean, polished show because they're just trying to connect with what's happening on stage? Or do they want that preferred cinematic artsy look? And I think in certain environments, you're going to have those that kind of crowd that that's going to want that. And in other times you're not going to have that crowd. That's not going to want that. And so, um, you know, I didn't come on here to win any arguments or anything like that, but you know, that's, that's my kind of two cents on the, on the factor is that when I, when I, when I said before that, that you have to know what your purpose is, I've always felt like my purpose when I'm directing any type of I make show, um, is, is connecting people with the stage. And if they can't connect with the person that's leading the song or they can't connect with the pastor, um, then I'm not doing my job. Mm. And I'm not there to create an experience, right? I, I'm not there to create an experience. That's been my my big thing is the band creates the experience, the pastor creates the experience. We support, right? Even in audio, it's sound reinforcement, right? Uh, depending on who, who you talk to for an audio engineer, I guess, but it's supposed to be sound reinforcement. And I've always felt like that's the same way uh, when it comes to directing video and doing video production. Um, so um, yeah, that, that's, that's my, that's, that's good. That's my thoughts on it. I think it's good. I think it's a good perspective to have. I think it's good to have all these different thoughts about it because, you know, uh, we're all just trying to figure this out together. And there's a lot of us that like myself who over the last 15 years have, I wish, I wish this conversation existed, you know, 12 years ago when I was starting. Cause I, it, it, it brings context to some mistakes I made along the way. And it would have got me a little bit further along, uh, down the journey. So, uh, Brandon, are you on social media or anything? Like, uh, do you want people to follow you or not? I, I actually am not really on social okay, media cool. at all. That's <laughs> trying to avoid it. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So if you want to have a further conversation with Brandon, you can reach out to me and I can uh, figure out how to connect the dots um, with Brandon. So uh, I appreciate your time uh, out of your day to come hang out with us. And, you know, you're definitely smarter than me. And I appreciate all the the lessons on frame rates. Um, and yeah. Any closing comments, Zach, Rusty, anything you guys got before we say? No, bye-bye? I mean, I, I learned a ton. Wow. My mind. Yeah. I'm just going to go back and listen to this one myself. <laughs> yeah. Anything from you, Rusty? No, man. That was great. Loved it. It's cool. All right. So thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Rusty. And uh, we'll talk to y'all later. See ya. Bye. All right. See ya.
If you've seen or heard anything from MXU, you've probably gathered that we care deeply about helping you create healthy teams. We know that you have a lot on your shoulders, but you don't have to bear it all alone. MXU can come alongside you to help you recruit volunteers and bring them on board in a healthy way. With our platforms, you gain back valuable ministry time as we take over the bulk of training from entry level to advanced concepts in audio, video, and lighting. Keeping your team healthy should be a priority at any church, and a healthier team means a healthier you. Start building a healthy team at getmxu.com.